Get your Bibles out. We're going to begin to teach God's Word, and we are in a wonderful series. There was this week a profound moment uh, where I just, just a breeze of inspiration, an epiphany of vision came that I'm not prepared to share. I'm just going to tease you with it. But how many of you know when God breathes on you, that's encouraging? And I just want you to be encouraged. I want you to seek the breath of God upon your life. I believe that what we're talking about may be some of the most important lessons. I know everybody grins because whatever I'm saying is important. But, but these may be the most important lessons because there is going to be, I'm prophesying now to you. This isn't in my notes. This is just a prophecy. I'm prophesying to you. I'm going to prophesy to the live crowd. and I'm going to prophesy over YouTube. There's going to be one of the greatest shifts in church life. We're just not talking about our local church. We've got plenty of our own shifts. But I'm talking about church life in America. There is coming quickly a shift in church life that's going to challenge and shake all that can be shaken. And all of the issues that we're beginning to talk about here with regards to what it means to connect to a church and love a church and participate in church and you know, and all the functioning of church that has been set aside for so many years now just to answer the more pragmatic question of how do I get people to come and sit in a seat? That's all. The, that's the only question we're really answering these days that God's going to shake some things up because this is his house. We are the house of the Lord together. He's building us into a holy temple. He dwells in it. And so I'm prophesying to you that there's going to come a, the great shakeup. And it's going to be important that we make sure we stand on that which cannot be shaken. And these lessons that I'm, I'm sharing with you, as distant as it may seem at the moment, is going to come become incredibly relevant, uh, more so for your personal life than you could have ever imagined. And so I'm just prophesying these things so that you would not be caught unaware. You do, you do know we're living in the great apostasy season. There's, there's a falling away that's happening. So these things are critical that we might not be found in that group. And so here we are at lesson four in the I Love My Church series, getting ourselves positioned and prepared for this new season and relaunching into our promise and destiny. In fact, let's say it together. I love my... One more time. I love my... Now, certainly you love Jesus, you love the Lord, you love everything about the kingdom, but the church is a part of his kingdom. So we love that as well. Let's review. We defined exactly what a church is. If you don't know what a church is, go to YouTube and I'll tell you. Number two, we talked about loving your local church, praying for it, being in unity and all those things. Great message. We talked about that. Number three, we mentioned about understanding vision. That was last week, which is the cause to live for and to die for. And hopefully you applied that personally as well if you don't have a personal vision in your household you need to get one because that personal vision is why you link to a corporate vision in order to see god bring about a better future but the question we're going to consider today is this and that is when you're attracted or feel led to be a part of a local church or you feel connected to the vision then how do you do that how do you connect in a meaningful way and how do you join, literally, how do you join the cause? Now, let me say up front, 
And I'm just going to stipulate this because I know there's a great conversation going out there that in the book of Acts, you do not see the 3,000 that are one on the day of Pentecost going into the first church of Jerusalem and taking a new members class. You won't find that in the book of Acts. They didn't come to the Sunday school hour before morning worship and go to the class that James, because he was the senior pastor at the Church of Jerusalem, James was holding the class and they all came in and they all took a new members class. You didn't see that there. And so there are people who oftentimes ask the question, well, then why do we do all of that? Or why, you know, is that necessary even? And if it's not biblical, does that mean we don't even have to do it? And I just want to share with you that just because the New Testament, this is an important principle which will help as well. Just because the New Testament is silent on a subject does not mean that God doesn't have something to say about it. You've heard me say this before. We haven't switched gods at the cross. Amen? I mean, Jesus was even in the Old Testament. Sure he was. Every time the angel of the Lord showed up, that was a pre-incarnate picture of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is a part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one. So Jesus was there in the Old Testament, and the reason the New Testament is sometimes silent on certain subjects is because we haven't switched gods. And so therefore, if we worshiped God, let's say, in a certain way under an old covenant, how much more would we worship that same God in an even greater way in the new covenant, right? So if under an old covenant I'm lifting up my hands worshiping God, then certainly I would lift up my hands and worship the same God under a new covenant. The cross didn't say I could now lower my hands. The cross doesn't mean I can now quit shouting my praises. The cross doesn't mean that I don't have to to do all the other Hebrew words of expressive worship. It didn't change those things. So while there are no direct statements in the New Testament concerning certain things, it does not mean that there are not principles by which we can find and apply in these situations. So you're not going to find a new members class in the New Testament. You're not going to find this this system or this structure or this process or this flow chart from the first church of Jerusalem that will begin to show you exactly how in the world they connected to that local church. You'll never find that. But in the old covenant, what you're going to see are the precepts of the covenant, which help us understand however structure it's formed in, how people come to connect with the cause or connect with that local church. And so today I'm going to teach for a few moments on what I entitled joining the cause or what it means to be a member. Joining the cause or what it means to be a member. In 1 Chronicles, so we're in the Old Covenant, 1 Chronicles chapter 12. Some of you perhaps through the years have heard me mention these verses, but I want to do a little more exposition on them. Verses 16 through 18, and I want to read to you a story which is a perfect covenantal story about connection to a cause. First Chronicles 12, 16 through 18, we read, Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold, or at the fort. And David went out to meet them and answered and said to them, If you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. 
But if to betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. Then the spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains, and he said, We're yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you. Listen. So what did David do? David received them and made them captains of the troops. Joining a cause. How to join a cause. Now, joining a church, obviously, isn't exactly analogous to signing up for the army or military service, which is probably most directly what is happening here. But you have to kind of understand all the dynamics of it in order to see the appropriate connection points or analogies that begin to flow out of it. Because joining a church or becoming what we know as a member of a local church is probably one of the most familiar things that most Christians think they understand. But I want to just suggest to you that perhaps, perhaps it's been misunderstood and we need to just let the Bible speak to us again so we can begin to clear some of, things, uh, some of these things up. So let me say clearly just a couple of things right off the bat. I believe every believer needs to be attached to a local church. You cannot say I'm a part of the church and not find a meaningful expression of what that connection means. I understand there's a universal church. I understand when you're born again. You're born again under this great global church of Jesus Christ, and you are a part of the, the general assembly, the Hebrew writer said, that will gather together in the heavenlies. I get it that you are a part of his great, great church, but that becomes simply an ethereal, nebulous theory until you connect with something that is a tangible expression of a local church. Otherwise, you're just living in a concept. And not in a reality. So I'll say it again. I believe every believer needs to be connected to a local church. We usually call that membership. Now, again, you're not going to find the word membership in the Bible. In fact, uh, I, I believe that, that the attachment uh, may be better described with other words than maybe membership because membership membership kind of smacks does it not sort of like institutionalized or organizational you know some of you are members of different organizations for instance if you have an american express card they had the famous saying that membership has its privileges <laughs> yeah, membership means you can get in debt with their card that's the privilege that you get how about if you're a golfer? If you go to a private golf course, it means that, that membership perhaps has special access or maybe only membership can play on the golf course. Maybe you're a member to Sam's or to Costco and they have different levels of membership. If you get a certain card, you can get in one hour earlier than anyone else. It has its privilege, members. So you show your card or you go to a health club or a gym and you swipe your card because you're a member. And, and, and you know what's interesting to me is that health clubs are some of the most vigilant in making sure that you're a member before you get on their treadmill. Baby, you aren't going to get through there. They've got guards and they've got those big guys, you know, with the arms. And they aren't going to let you run that treadmill unless you're a member. These are the things I think oftentimes 
begin to stir in our mind when we think of the word membership. I think that's why 21st century Americans are seemingly in this day and age reacting now to the words church membership because it feels so organizational. It feels formal. It has the vibe of being non-relational and almost exclusive and maybe even closed to the masses. In fact, for many, it feels the opposite of what Christianity and church is supposed to be all about. In fact, there's a whole new network out there these days of believers who are opting out of organized or institutionalized religion. That's what they call it. And they just loosely meet together. Oftentimes it's in their homes and there's nothing wrong with that. But they just loosely meet together just to do the faith in a more organic kind of way. Now I understand and I get how one can read the book of Acts. You can look at our current church state and get to the point where you're ready to eject from churchianity. I understand that. Honestly, I do. In fact, I have, believe me, uh, seen in these days that the new corporate franchising appearance of the church in American Christianity somehow just can rub you wrong. We, we, we are growing organizations that we slap the label church on rather than reaching people and growing people's relationship with God. And there's a great big difference between those two things. I had one person of whom I was having a recent discussion label me or call me uh, a part of the ministerial industrial complex. I never knew I was a part of that. I'm a part of the ministerial industrial complex because in his mind and in his eyes, I was perverting or defiling the faith. And that was the first. I'd never been, you know, it, it's, I'm, I'm, this, I'm, I'm a part of this complex. I wish I was as rich as a complex sounds, but I'm really. But here's the deal. They were frustrated and they probably were wounded over whatever experience of church life they had. I just want to remind everyone here, I'll say it again, I said it in our first lesson, a local church is not a building. In fact, a local church isn't even a set of organizational documents. It's not a program, it's not an activity center. A church can meet in a home, it can meet in a hotel, it can meet at a school, it can meet in a church building that it owns or it leases. It can meet in a tent. It can meet under a tree. It can meet in a park. It can meet in a theater. There are perhaps a hundred different ways or venues a church can meet because a church is not what it is that covers you or locates you. A church is the people that have attached themselves together. But for the church to be a church, it does mean that a people who have committed to gather together or the ecclesia to gather, assemble they must have some level of commitment first to Jesus Christ because it's his church. So really, you can't be a part of the church until you're first related to Jesus Christ. But then there's the relationship and the attachment that comes to one another. The relationship that exists with those of like faith and like vision. To leaders, to others who have come in order to bring momentum and to bring direction to that which God has mandated in fact the better way to put it perhaps is if the church is trying to accomplish a mandate or trying to accomplish the will of god or a vision this is the question how do you know who you're working with how do you know how do you know who you can entrust things to 
How do you know who can handle a responsibility? Who do you know that's going to be here more than just a couple weeks? Who's really here? Who's kind of here? Who's sort of checking it out? Who, you know, who is just going to do whatever the best option is that day? How How do you figure these things out? I mean, these are things that a pastor at least thinks about. How do you know these things? How do you pick leaders? How do you make leaders? Who's going to be loyal to the work? Loyal to the leaders? Loyal to Jesus? How do you know? Who can you walk with, build with? How do I know? How does anyone know if a person is here superficially? Because maybe they just like, they like the guitar riffs that Brad does on his guitar. Or, you know, Deborah's really dropping the bass notes, baby. And we like that. And that's why I'm here. Deborah on the bass. That's why I'm here. We love you, Deborah. I know you got the memo on that one. So why? Why are we? Why are we here? Or have they really bought into the journey? As bumpy and as hilly as journeys can be. And I think for most, at least I can speak from the pastor's viewpoint, that the concept of membership for most, I think, is an attempt at answering those questions. And let me just say, I don't care what anyone feels, those are important questions to answer. Our 21st century problem has been we have approached all of these answers from the organizational model of Walmart rather than from the relational model that exists in Scripture. So let me just share, everybody, hear me, everybody is welcome to come to church. Everybody's welcome to come to our church. Everybody's welcome to participate generally in a worship service. No one has refused the opportunity to hear the gospel. Nobody is ever restricted from singing the songs of the faith to be edified by the fellowship that exists within our gathering. So everybody can access the church at least at that level. But connecting with the local body of Christ in a worship setting is not the same as uniting with the vision and fulfilling the mandates that God has put upon us. And so the text that I read to you of this guy named Amasai, who is now coming up to David wanting to be a part of that army, becomes in many, many ways a template of how it is we come to what we also know the church to be as the army of God. And it gives us this template of how I believe connection to a cause, even to a local church, begins to be handled. So let me tell you a little bit about this story so we can do our Bible study here. So I read you the text, and the text is dealing with David and David's influence. And David, of course, has gone through all of these experiences. He has grown up in the house of Jesse. He has watched sheep and tended to them. He's killed lions and bears until he finally killed Goliath, which we talked about last week. Uh, He's been faithful in all of his services. Um, He's now, because of his successes, worked in the household or the palace of Saul. Saul gets jealous of David. He begins to actually throw spears at David. He runs David off to the caves of Adullam. There in the caves of Adullam, uh, a a, a displaced people begin to gather in that cave. It's interesting because all David had to offer these people that gathered with him in the cave was a vision. He didn't have anything else. He just had a cave. Hey, come join the vision. It's in a cave. That's all he had. 
but there was something about the vision that was compelling enough for some to link up. Now hear me, this is the part about Amasai that you need to start getting. Few people want to connect in a cave, but when they see you headed toward the palace, everybody wants to connect. As soon as you get the playground equipment, they want you because there wasn't no playground equipment at the cave. As soon as you get the big coffee bar and cappuccino machines, that's when they'll connect with you. But they didn't want to connect with you when they had to haul their own water in the cave. Are you following me? It's a whole different group. The group in the cave was this group of indebted, depressed, discouraged people. They were this ragtag bunch. They weren't anybody's prize. But now that you're headed towards the palace, you've got generals coming to you. And that was Amasai. Amasai, interestingly, uh, is coming to him. Now, uh, let me just go through the story because David, David now has to defend himself from Saul because Saul's trying to kill him until finally, at the end of all of this, David is winning these, these encounters and Saul, finally so, so oppressed by his demons, he kills himself by falling on his sword. And now all of a sudden there is no king of Israel and now all the prophecies of David are looking like they're going to come to pass. It's David's bunch that has the momentum. The people begin to see this sort of thing. The will of God is preparing David towards the palace. And it's interesting that success and newness has a way of always drawing people. People always want to be around what's new. Open up a new restaurant. You could have a hundred wonderful, great restaurants, but open up that new restaurant and everybody goes to the new one. Everybody loves new. Everybody loves the winner. Everybody wants to hang around that. Just watch a presidential election. Everybody hates the guy that's running for president until he's president, and then everybody's sucking up to him. David's the winner. He's the new thing. And he's going to the palace. Hundreds of people are wanting to participate in this reign, in this kingdom. So Amasai shows up. Now, Amasai is this interesting guy because Amasai has been, it says, the chief of the captains of the tribe of Benjamin. Now, Benjamin, Benjaminites, lined up with Saul in the wars against David. So literally, Amasai was a captain of David's adversary. Isn't that interesting? He was fighting on the opposite side. But now, Saul's gone, David's headed to the palace, Amasai's bouncing up, and he goes, Hey, I'd like to join your army now. And the reason this is so interesting is because it makes you ask the question, what would you do if you were David? Because last week, this guy's throwing spears at me. Last week, he's leading an army that's wanting to kill me. What would you do? Now they want to be in your army. They want to join your cause. I mean, how would you feel if you were David? Well, I mean, I'm just being honest right now. Here's a guy that you were looking at across the battlefield. He's chucking a spear at you, and now he wants to join up with you. Yeah, like right. Isn't that how you'd feel? Sure it is. We'd all feel that way. How would you respond? How would you go forward? What would you do if you were David to keep you from looking over your back and wondering if from this guy Amasai you were going to get it in the back since he had no problem giving it to you eye to eye. You ever wonder how he might have felt at this moment? So what did Amasai and the Benjaminites, because he brought them all, what did they need to do? What did David do? Did David create a new members class? 
So I'll tell you what, we're going to have a new members class next week. It's going to last about three weeks. And you can go to the new members class. Now, again, I'm, 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 I'm spoofing. I'm being a little sarcastic here. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm doing this in order just to make your mind spin. What do you do for this? Do you attend this, attend it for a couple of weeks? You get the vision statement of David's kingdom. You get a little history of how David got there. You kind of watch some slides on the cave days. And then you receive them. Well, that's not exactly what happened. But there was a process. David asked Amasai to make the sounds of covenant. Now, this would be important for everyone, but especially a former adversary. And you've got to understand that as he's coming to want to join David's army, it's really more than just David, because there's a whole nother army behind David that watched Amasai and his bunch throw spears. So it's not just about David. It's about all these other people who are around David and going, hey, we fought with you. We stood with you. We were in the cave with you. And this dude was on the other side chucking spears. And now we're talking like you're going to let him come in this thing. So there has to be some things here stated so that we at least have something on record. Now, in making these connections and analogies, I'm not going to suggest that everyone who wants to connect with the tribe of legacy is an adversary. I, don't, I, I realize it can feel that way, and I'm not saying that. That's not true. In fact, most people that connect with a local church are actually your friends. They're here because they want to be here. They're here because they like being here. They're here because of various reasons. Hopefully they feel like God led them here. I mean, nobody, nobody that I'm aware of goes, I want to join that church because I hate it. Nobody says that, do they? Unless you're just... So they're friends, almost, almost 100%. They're friends that are coming, and they should be received as friends. But that being said, you still have to know who you're going to build with and move forward because I've had people through the years go through new members class at Legacy, and we received them into the life of the church, and less than a month later, they felt like they were being let out again. Now, I don't know. I'm just going to say it out loud. That's just really super strange to me. I mean, why one minute you're saying the Holy Spirit brought me here and then six weeks later, I've had one, six weeks later, they go, the Holy Spirit's leading us out. What, what, whoa, 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 help me with this. There's something, I'm not saying there aren't times and seasons, but you know, I just, the six weeks is not usually a season. There is obviously something in the glue of the connection that wasn't quite as strong as one might have hoped. I saw this passage of Amasai years ago and I thought to myself that whether one is an old adversary or whether one may be a dear friend there are certain principles of connecting to the vision the leader a church an army a cause which can be helpful and I want to say that these principles are what we define as a covenant there's a relationship in a local church that should be built out of a covenant it provides a glue for the cause to go forward now I also know that for David to be able to do this, it reminds me that David, as well as his army, and I want you all to hear this, because you're, we all are in this to some extent, that as God takes our tribe forward, there are going to be those that are going to connect with it. Hear me when I say this. There are going to be great numbers of people connecting with this, and we're going to have to understand most of them will be wonderful friends. I don't know that there might be a few adversaries that come. 
But here's the deal. God's going to have to give us the grace of a David to be able to look at Amasai and not pick up our own spear and say, remember last week? There. No, 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 no. That's not what David did. There was a grace for David to be able to say, okay, we were adversaries, but we're going to lay our spears down and we're going to work somehow together in this new thing. But in order to do that, there's going to be a couple things that are going to have to be done. Now, hear me. If you haven't learned this, I'm, and this, I'm just going to, I'm sure many of you have. How many of you know people generally, and unfortunately, there's a strain of it in all of us, and I'm just, I'm standing here as well. There's a strain of this. It must be attached to the fallen nature. There's a strain in all of us that are fickle. Now, you, no one likes to admit that. But people are fickle. Sure they are. Send them a coupon in the mail, and they'll switch grocery stores in a heartbeat. Isn't that true? Sure you will. You get a better deal somewhere, you'll, you'll, you'll switch in a heartbeat. You get a, you get a 10 cent an hour raise, you'll quit your job and you'll take that new job. Isn't that true? We, we tend to be fickle. Not saying that sometimes all those things don't maybe need to be done. I'm just telling you, there's a strain in us that's like that. And all of us. Hear me when I say this. David had to discern this Amasai who would stood against him now wants to be with him. He has to determine why, why the switch, why the change, why the connection, why do you want this? Why, why all of this is taking place? And, and this has been my prayer because, it's, again, it's in all of us. And I'm, I'm, I, as I was reading this, I said, Lord, Lord, drive the fickle out of me and let me be faithful. Can you pray a prayer like that? Drive the fickle out of me and let me be faithful. Because, because he has to discern, is Amasai coming? Because it's just a good political move on the part of Amasai? Or is Amasai coming because he wants to be a part of the cause? So it's important that we understand how this connection is going to work. So let's just talk about this. I'm going to walk through this. In fact, there's only two, three verses here, so it's easy for you to keep up. But let's talk about how to connect to a cause, how to connect to a church, join a movement, join the cause, be a part of the army. I want to give you just several things here as we walk through this. This is going to be really helpful. It probably works in numbers of areas. Probably would work at a job site. It probably would work, probably would work in a marriage, maybe. It would work in all sorts of ways. So you can apply it personally, I'm sure in a number of ways, but obviously I'm connecting it to the cause that exists in a local church. Number one is this. He says, you must come in peace. That's what he says to Amasai. Have you come in peace? David looked at his former adversary who wanted to join the cause, and he said, if we're going to work together, then here's the deal. We're going to be at peace. What that means is, is there can be no war in your heart. The war is over. If you want to throw spears... You're not going to be throwing them my direction. You're now on my team, and I expect you to support and be at peace with the whole army. You're not going to throw spears at my army. You're not going to bring your guys in the army, Amasai. That's what he's saying, and throw spears at everybody, and especially at me. Now, people may say, what's a spear? Spear is this, words, gossip, 
accusation, criticism, nitpicking, backbiting, complaining. You might as well stand on the other side of the field if you're going to throw spears. Because if you're in the army, you can't throw spears. Doesn't matter who you're throwing it at. You got to quit your spear throwing. There's always something to throw a spear at. Anybody can be your target practice. But if you're going to be in the army, you got to drop the spear throwing and understand that you're going to be at peace. I have found out through the years some people just enjoy fussing. It's just their, just their nature. They want to fight. They want to fuss. If they aren't fighting with an adversary, see, this is what's known. I, I bless the Baptists, but if they don't have an adversary to fight, they fight each other. In David's day, the army actually had shields, and on these shields, there was a hook on one side of the shield and, and, a, and a kind of a, a crook on the other side of the shield. And what you would do is when you went into battle is that you would have the shield and that circle on one side would hook into the crook of that other shield. And actually all the men on the front line would hook their shields up one to another and they couldn't let go of their shields. They were hooked together in order to go to battle. Why was that important? Because if the battle got hot, you couldn't run. Or if you did, you ran without your shield. So they were locked together in this battle. Now hear me when I say this, the last thing you want to do is to lock shields with someone who has war in their heart with you. Now here's the good part of the season we're at. We're at a season where it's a time to just declare that this is the moment we set our spears down. We don't have to throw our spears anymore. We're not looking for people to throw our spears at. Find the place of peace in your heart again. We're not going to throw spears at our brothers and sisters at other places. We affirm them. We love them. We bless them. May they prosper. May, may everything be great in their house. We're not throwing spears anywhere. And we're not throwing spears in our own army. We're dropping the spears. If you want a spear, then take your spear and go somewhere and find you a war. But David says, if you're joining this cause, have you come in peace? Find the place of peace again. That's just number one. Number two is this. You must want to help or participate in the cause. That's what he said. He said, if you've come peaceably and you want to help. When Amasai and the Benjaminites joined David, they were going to be a part of an army. They were not joining so they could ride in a wagon and be carted to the palace. They weren't finding, you know, they weren't asking David to somehow get your wagon out so we can all jump in the wagon because you're going to the palace because, we, because the palace is air-conditioned. And the palace has everything we want. So we're going we're gonna to just jump in this wagon and we're going to let you cart us over to the new palace. No, he said if you're here not to get carted into Jerusalem, but if you're here to help and participate are you here to help me or to harm me he says are you here to roll up your sleeves participate listen participate in the battles or are you here to analyze and to criticize and ultimately be paralyzed in your participation you're signing up for an army this is a battle we need people ready to get in the battle not sit there on the sidelines and critique how we can do it better you know what the army really needs the army needs recruiters 
We need people now that can give oversight and leadership to 100 points of ministry lights and not complain about what they don't have. We're living in a day and age where everybody wants their needs met. I heard this the other day, and it was such a good thing, and I agree with the guy who said it, so it's not original with me, but I identified with it. He looked and he said, I am such a lousy counselor. Because you know how I counsel everybody? I counsel everybody like this. What do you think it looks like to lay down your life and to die? Do you think that Jesus died so that you could just be carted around the rest of your life by everyone else? Or do you think he died in order that he could show you what it meant to die to yourself so that he could live large in you so that you could begin to do the greater works even more than what he did? Or are you the one that's just going to analyze everything around you? Join the cause. Lay down your life. The reason churches spend so much time with ambiance and fog machines and lights is because we're trying to figure out how to entertain everybody so they feel like they got their needs met. And it's time somebody looked at the body of Christ in America and said, it's no longer about getting your need met. It's about when do you lay your life down? When do you give yourself up for something greater than yourself? I'm talking to the guys right now, but I could say this to the women as well. I don't, have, I don't have guys running up to me saying, I never have guys wanting counsel and saying, you know, I'm just not communicating with my wife like I need to. And I really need help in my communication. And I'm really not serving her like I need to serve her, pastor. And I need some help in understanding what I can do to serve. And, and I never have guys do that. You know, what, well, you, know what, you know what most people do, men or women, when they come to me for counsel? It's usually in this box. I'm not getting my needs met. And I just want to say to both men and to women, when you get married and you get in a covenant, you lay your life down for that other person. And there are days she doesn't meet my needs, and I'm sure there's even more days that I don't meet your needs. But the fact of the matter is we don't walk around going and analyzing, when are you going to do it? I, I signed up to lay my life down. That's what it means. Are you here to help? Are you here to participate? Joining a cause is about laying your life down to help. I got to hurry. Number three, I'm going to go through a couple of these quickly. Number three, you got to find the place in your heart that you can be united with the heart of the leader. It's an important dynamic. You're not connecting to an organizational document. You're not connecting to a structure. You're not connecting to the program. You're not connecting to the cappuccino machine. You're not connecting to the lights. You're not connecting to the thrill and the chills. You're connecting to the heart of someone who's articulating a cause. That's biblical. You gotta, you gotta find, that's what the connection is all about. Because when it's time to charge... Everybody can't be saying, well, let's vote on that charge. I don't know. I don't know if it's my season to charge. I'm thinking about it. If you charge between 7 and 9 in the evenings. How many of you know I'm getting my preach back in me here? Number four. Hey, listen, this is important here. Number four is that when you connect, it's a response to the Holy Spirit. Now, this is the God part of it. Important, important part. Everyone says when they unite with a church that they feel like they are being led of the Lord. Well, of course, we would hope that you're being led of the Lord. 
In fact, the same thing is usually said when the season is over. I'm being led of the Lord. I've, been, I've received umpteen letters that says, well, the Lord's led me. Our season's over. Okay, I get it. And then it could be well true. I'm not the Lord. And maybe he said that. I get it. And the Lord's leading is priority. He orders our steps. He, hear me though, but when he does this, he does this in such a way, in fact, the Bible says that the spirit overcame Amasai. In other words, God literally overcame Amasai in order to declare this is where I want to connect. But when you come to connecting, hear me when I say this, the Lord also tells us that he wants us to be planted in the house of the Lord. The Lord leads us to plant. It's the tree that is planted by the waters that flourishes and prospers, even if a hurricane blows through. And hear me, the trees that withstand the hurricane are the trees that have been planted for a good long time. But when you transplant a tree over and over and over and over, and the Lord led me here for four weeks, and he led me here for six weeks, and he's led me here for eight weeks, and he's led me here, and you keep transplanting. You know what transplanting a plant ultimately does? It paralyzes its growth. So you can't transplant constantly. You've got to plant, and as you plant, yes, there are challenges to planting. It can get hot. It can get cold. It can get windy. It can get soaky. Yeah, so many things can happen. But when you plant, your root system begins to go down, and it determines how you're going to weather a storm. And the reason the American church is what it is is because we're a bunch of transplanted trees. So God's in a part of that. Man, where, Lord, where am I to sink my roots into and I will sink them? Number five. Says to connect, he asked Amasai to declare the loyalty, his loyalty publicly. Isn't that wild? Old Testament's wild. There's some really wild stories in the Old Testament. This is, this is kind of one of them because it just cuts, cuts the grain of American Christianity. He wanted Amasai out loud, and Amasai did it out loud. He said, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you. Out loud. So everybody could hear it. The whole, everybody could hear it. Now, I'm going to say this out loud. I am not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of any of you. I want to say this out loud. I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not ashamed of any of you. I love you, and if we're connected we're connected. And it doesn't matter what we may look like at times. Some of us have good days. Some of us have bad days. But we need to be loyal. You need to be loyal to your army, loyal to everyone in it. And I'm just saying, something in you needs to say, this is my tribe. This is my church. He's my pastor. She's my pastor's wife. These are my leaders. The rest are my brothers and my sisters. And yes, we're in the caves of Adullam. We're 3D. We don't have much to offer. We have a rock here that you can sit on. Got some cave paintings that you can look at, drawings. It's not much, but it's us. And we're connected and, you, and, and it may not be the best cave, but you're not, you're not, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, no, you're not gonna undermine my cave. I'm loyal to my cave. I'm loyal to everything in my cave. God loves my cave. 
that God designed my cave. God, God purposed my cave. God's working in this cave. I wouldn't give my cave up for all the palaces in the world out of time. Amen. Number six. You embrace the culture of the army. David's army would not be like the previous army or kingdom. It certainly wouldn't be like Saul's kingdom. It wouldn't be like Amasai's army or the Benjaminites. And so when they came, they had to adopt and adapt a new culture and a new army. Now, listen to me again. We love churches. I'm saying it again. We, we drop all of our spears. All of our spears are dropped, right? Amen? Just say, I drop my spears. I drop my spears. There are hundreds of great gospel churches out and around. Hundreds of them. Thousands across our nation. Each one is doing a work that God has called it to do, and each one has its own culture. God bless it. It ought to be that way. It's designed that way. But hear me. We have our culture. We have our perspective, our identity, our DNA, our vocabulary, our values, our goals, our emphases, our distinctives. God's not cloning us to be someone else. God's creating us to be unique as unto him. Just as I am a unique pastor, she is a unique pastor's wife in person. You are a unique person. Nobody's created just like you. Nobody has your fingerprints. Nobody has your DNA. Nobody is just like you. God created you like that and called it good. Isn't that amazing? How many of you know he, he creates and he forms churches that have its own unique DNA that's not like anyone else? I'm not trying to be like that church or that church or that church or that church. I'm going to be the best pastor and best church I know to be that's been uniquely created by God. And now we should be teachable. Other tribes have things that could be insightful. But we are spirit-empowered believers. We are making the name of Jesus great. We are from the tribe of legacy. And as people unite with us, they link with that culture. And then finally, number seven. Aren't you glad? I'm just about done. I could go another hour. Seven is this. You will fight for the vision. I ought to put down here, you'll fight for your church. That's interesting. David made Amasai. This, is, this, this really was interesting. He made him a captain of the troops when he received him. Now, this is what's interesting. Amasai was a chief of the captains with the tribe of Benjamin. But when he received Amasai into this army, he didn't make him a chief of the captains. He made them one of the captains. In other words, he didn't get to retain the exact position he had with the other army. He had, in fact, he probably, you could say, got a little bit of a demotion, but he was still giving oversight. In other words, his gifts, his abilities, his skills, they were still being implemented, but he didn't exactly get the same spot as he once had. Now, here's the deal. Why did David do that? I think it's this, that when you unite with an army, it does not automatically put you in the same position maybe you once had in another army. Amasai was going to have to fight for the cause like the rest of them. You know who your leaders are? The ones that will fight for the cause. Fight for the vision. 
the ones that will get in the battle, roll up their sleeves. It doesn't matter what gets thrown, they're going to fight for it. And that's the question is, will you fight? Will you fight for and with this tribe? It's not, it's not fighting people. It's not fighting your brother or fighting your sister. It's fighting the enemy and fighting for the causes of God. Now, I'll wrap with this. I mentioned this at the beginning and I'm even more convinced of it now that before the year is out, and, and probably this will happen. In fact, I know it will happen when we get to the new location because I think that's just a good point of demarcation where we can just do this. I think, I think it would be good for us to renew our connection to the tribe. Some of you have been here still amazingly. In fact, some of you were here before day one. <laughs> some of you were here obviously since day one. Some of you have been here for many, many years. In fact, it's as if you were here day one. Some of you have joined up along the way. We're grateful for every one of you. Hear me when I say this. I am so grateful for you. And I affirm you. I'm glad you're here. And hopefully you feel like it's God. It's God that overshadowed me. And it's God that's saying to me, yes, this is, this is my tribe. I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for your support. I'm grateful for all all the, 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 the gifts and the service and everything, I'm grateful. I'm so very, very grateful. But hear me, I, I've, been, I've been married, and I'm grateful for this woman. I've been married to this woman for 35 years. I'm giving this as an analogy. I love you more than the day I married you. But at the same time, there are, there are moments, even in that relationship, it's, it's good and it's appropriate, and we've not planned this. Maybe we never felt the need for it, but there are times couples even with a great relationship say let's just renew our vows let's just remind ourselves what it is 35 years ago we committed ourselves to and we're going to renew this before god in in a in a special way and and, and you re people recognize the meaning and the significance in those sort of things sometimes you do vow re renewals because maybe it has been a shaky period or something and it's just a good way to shore up the shakiness of that particular time period but I really believe that there might be something here that would be spiritually good for us to do to strengthen the cords of connection. I'd always struggled with membership. I just, I just, you know, you, you try to do it, you try to offer it, and people come four weeks later, they're gone, and you're saying, why did I burn off that energy? If the, you know, and, so, and, and I'm coming to an understanding that this is, a, this is really relaunching more than an organizational way, more of a covenantal way to strengthen the cords of connection, to know we're linking shields with one another and headed into battle. If you don't think there aren't a couple more battles to face, brother, sister, I'm going to wake you up right now. There's going to be yet a challenge or two along the way, I suspect. But there's not going to be any shadows, no questions, no speculations. I'm going to know who I can link this shield with. And let me be, be clear, and I may say this multiple times, but it's time for this tribe to expand, and it's time for this tribe to grow. God has people for this army to come. And he's going to use you all to do that. And when they come, you need to receive them. Now, I, I'm, I'll work through the process of how we link swords up and how we covenant, but everybody's welcome. But the last thing I need 
is for you all to look at somebody and say, you ain't good enough for the army, or I don't want you in the army, or I'm fine with the army being as big as it is. That's not your call. Your call isn't to decide how big the army is going to be. It's not really my call either. It's God's call. If God says the army's just to be 100, then we'll be satisfied with 100. But if God says the army's supposed to expand and grow, that's what it's supposed to do because that's making his name great. It's his call, not mine, not yours. So if someone comes in the door and they're a recruit, we got to believe that out of providence, God directed their steps our direction. He purposed them to come through the doors wherever we may be and that we need to tend to that as if they're a brand new recruit. And we may indeed be a Paris island, but at least if they're here, they know that God brought them here and there are people who want them in that army. Yes and amen. How do I, how do I close now? That's all my notes. Maybe what needs to happen right now is for you to begin to say, before God, and this is, this is really, for me, this is, this is out there. It's for you to begin to say, Lord, strengthen my connection with this tribe. Because if your inclination is to go from this place and reach for a, soul, or reach for a spear again, then i got to ask the question, are you really wanting to be a part of this tribe or not? Let your spear go. Or find a place you can let your spear go. I want you all to be in this army more than that i want you all to be in the army god's directed you to but let's get in the army let's join the cause let's make these connections and and we're going to memorialize this sometime probably i'd sense in september but you you can allow the spirit of god to work in your heart now so when that day comes you can say with amasai i'm here i'm yours i'm in this thing you can count on me I'm willing to say it publicly wherever I go. That's my tribe. We love all the tribes of the whole house of Israel. We love all the tribes. We love all the gospel preaching churches in the body of Christ. We love them all. But this is my tribe. And I'm in that tribe. Would you stand with me, please?